It's the middle of the night. A chilly wind is blowing across the city, coming off of the ocean. The streets are mostly empty, as the city is sleeping a fitful sleep. Not a single star shines down overhead, as the sky is covered with clouds, darkening the world beneath. There's a small building on the left side of the road. Its windows are boarded up with a sign above it, barely hanging on, that reads, The Sweet Roll. A rat skitters out of a hole in one of the boarded-up windows, heading off into the night in search of food. Just around the corner, down a small, dead-end alleyway, there is suddenly a piercing bright light. It starts as small as a pinprick, but it begins turning in the air and expanding in the shape of a triangle. Within seconds, it grows taller than a man. An electric buzzing fills the alleyway. Trash and refuse along the walls stirs and rats and other vermin flee from the humming and the brightness. Then, all at once, a figure steps out of the gateway in the dark. Misk Iso Da steps forward onto the stone street. When she does, her head swims and she stumbles to the side, catching herself on the wall of the building beside her. She breathes deeply for a moment, her eyes closed as she waits for her body to acclimate to her surroundings. Finally, after minutes of breathing and centering herself, she opens her eyes, looking around her. In that moment, Misk, you recognize your surroundings. You're back where it all started for you here in Manumi, in that little alleyway where your feet first touched the solid earth. What do you do? So I check my shoulder to see if Flicker is still there. He's not there. Um, kind of frantically, I look, you know, in my bag and around. You grab your bag and start looking through it, uh, digging through. As you do, you hear a little weird noise, like a little, not chirp, it's not chirping, it's like a little noise, I don't know, like a little skittering noise. And uh, you pull aside some things in your bag and you look down and there's like a tuft of white fur sticking up out of it. Uh, that's weird. It starts moving around and starts like digging up towards you, this thing, and you kind of drop your bag a little bit like freaked out by it, and out comes this solid white, except for a dark black patch around one eye, cat. Oh, yes! But when you look at this cat right in its eyes, it has those creepy little yellow eyes that you're accustomed to from your closet friend, Flicker. Flicker? Is... Is that you? The cat, like, lifts its paw, licks it, and then, like, sits down looks up at you, and uh, it opens its mouth and goes, <laughs> Okay, that's great. And I, um, Miss would run up and grab him. Flicker, I can't believe, I can't believe you're still here. Oh, man, I can't believe you're still here. I'm so glad you're still with me. You feel Flicker purring in your hands. And then you look around you, you see this alleyway. It's cool, windy, there is no one around. It's dark, but of course you can see pretty well in the dark. What do you do now? I'm gonna put my hood on. Okay. And go into the alley, but like slowly. Mm-hmm. Kinda peek around the corner, see what's out there. Okay, so you step up toward the exit of the alley, and when you do, you kind of carefully looking around, seeing if there's anything going on. Go ahead and give me a perception check. 14 plus 3. So 17 total? 17. Okay, so with the 17, I mean, you know where you are. 
It's very familiar. I mean, you lived here for a while in this dark alley. But you do notice that things seem a little bit more dirty than they were. Hmm. You step up to the exit of the alleyway and you look left and right. And there across the street, you see the Sweet Roll Bakery. But the windows are boarded up. The sign is just barely hanging on. It looks like no one's been there in a while. Honestly, it looks like it it could have been anything from a month to a year. It's hard to tell. Things don't look old and like rotted and decrepit. It looks like there's been some sort of trouble here, if we could say it that way. This went from being a fairly nice part of town to the opposite of that. Flicker, uh, I'm not really sure what happened here, and it's kind of weird. I'm going to put Flicker in my bag. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to use Disguise Self because I don't know what's going on here. Okay. What do you look like? She wouldn't turn into anything like that, you know, she has before in Brightport. So um, I'm thinking a brown-headed girl uh, with pretty much the same outfit on. Okay. You do that. You transform. uh, You look like a local human. Yep. Human's fine. Okay. Brunette, human, girl, lady, young woman. And you you set off down the street. Um, you're kind of looking around. You don't see anyone. You don't hear anyone. All the windows in this area that you come by are boarded up. There is trash and refuse just in the streets. Until finally you do start to hear something from up ahead of you. You hear... Two voices. It sounds like at least two people having some sort of a conversation back and forth, and there are footsteps drawing near you. What do you do? I'm going to hide behind anything. I mean, you know, there are alleys and different things. You can just kind of duck into one and try and hide. Go ahead and give me a stealth check. Ooh. That's a two. That is bad. Plus six. So that's an eight. Eight. Not great. You are, uh, you step into an alleyway and you like hug against the dark wall. It is nighttime, so you think, you know, you'll probably be okay. And you're waiting. And pretty soon two figures do come into your line of sight. You can hear them talking and they're just kind of chuckling and laughing, talking to one another. And then they walk by your alley where you can get a slightly better look at them. They both seem to be human. They both look kind of skinny maybe a little underfed, you know, they look rough. Uh, They're dressed in almost rags. Something does sort of stand out to you about them, and it is that when they walk by, because you're pretty close to the end of the alley, you get a smell off of them that just reeks. I mean, they smell terrible. You can't really place it. It's sort of familiar, but you can't really place it, but it's like overwhelming. Overwhelming to the point that when, when that gust comes through right as there at the end of the alley and the wind hits you, you sort of like choke on it. And when you do, you stumble back just a little bit and you kick over a can, a big trash can. Wow, smooth. And they immediately stop and turning, they see you in this alleyway. Unfortunately, there's no exit. Hmm. And now they're between you and the exit. And one of them says, oh, you goes there. Uh, just me. She's going to just, like, sneak into the light of the road. Just you? Well, who's you? Uh, Sarah. Sarah? You heard of any Sarahs around here? And uh, the other one says, 
Uh, nope, nope, not heard of any Sarahs around here. Nope, not supposed to be any Sarahs. <laughs> well, Sarah, you need some help? Uh, I think you're lost. No, no, I'm great, and I'm gonna, like, start backing up, kinda. Where are you gonna go, Sarah? You know, just down there. That way. Why don't you instead you just come with us? Oh, no, no, no. No, I'm good, thanks. Well... I'm afraid we're going to have to insist, he says. And uh, the one sitting next to him draws a sword from his hip. Oh, God. You don't want to do that. (laughs) You don't. I think I do, actually. You see, we're actually uh, patrolling, you might say, around here. And we're looking for, well, anybody, really. Uh, We're supposed to take anybody we find at them Grovers, aren't we? Grovers? That's right. Do I know any Grovers? That doesn't mean anything to you. You can either come with us willingly, or we'll take you by force. We'll, you know, do what we gotta do, tie you up, drag you down there to them. Mm. What's it gonna be? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. The one with the sword starts moving towards you. Oh, this is kind of a uh, tricky situation what here. What you gonna do? <laughs> um, I would draw my sword. Okay, so you draw your rapier. Okay, look, I don't want any trouble. I got some stuff to do. Oh, look, she's got a little pig stick out, doesn't she? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to set my stuff down. Set your bag down? Yeah. Okay, listen, I don't want to have to show you these mad skills. Oh, she doesn't want to show us what she can do, does she? (laughs) I mean, if you think you can, you know. The one with his sword out starts running towards you. Okay. He is going to try and hit you with a sword. Mm. What do you do? How do you react? I guess I would try to hit him with my sword at first. Okay, so you've got your sword. He's going to run towards you. Why don't you roll me initiative? Four plus four, so eight. Okay, so he's going to get a chance to attack you first. He's running at you. He sees you've got your sword. He's going to try and get you first. That's a miss. So he swipes wide. Why don't you try and stab him with your rapier? Fifteen plus six. So that's going to do it. Twenty-one. And then it's one D8 plus three... Six. So you kind of spin around, dodging his sword swipe, and you stick him in the back, kind of as he goes past you with the rapier. And you do, he lets out a howl in pain and, like, stumbles forward. And the other guy, the one who's, he's, he's like, bald-headed, he goes, Oh, I see how it's going to be then. All right. <laughs> we thought you were just some sort of helpless weakling, but it appears you know something about that sword, so I guess we're going to have to get serious with you. Bring it on. Kind of step forward, you switch your sword to your other hand. He steps forward, he like loosens his collar, stretches and pops his back. And as he does, you hear something a little bit disconcerting. You hear this growling sound from behind you. You turn on a hill and behind you where there was a guy holding a sword, there's now a thing dressed in rags, covered in hair, with a long muzzle and sharp teeth. Oh my gosh, it's a werewolf. And it leaps towards you. Uh. <laughs> oh no. And you hear as the other guy starts howling, and yeah, what you have here are two werewolves. And they are uh, now ready for your blood. But right as the one leaps toward you, something else happens all of a sudden. There is a sound of some tink, tink, tink as this thing, you don't see it in the dark rolls into the alleyway and then there's a pop and a blinding white light you're blinded 
everything just goes completely white and then you can't see and you're disoriented you hear the howling of these werewolves next to you they're disoriented you hear things being knocked over as they're stumbled around and then you hear the familiar sound of the twang of bows being released and arrows flying through the air and thudding into flesh Wow. Okay. While you're disoriented, you feel as someone grabs your arm and you hear a voice in your ear saying, Quick, come with me. Uh, I'm going to grab toward where I threw my bag down. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I grab it easily? Or? Yeah, you're right there next to it. I'll say you just kind of fall, oh, okay. sort of like lean so down. So I grab, grab it, it and, run. and pretty much pick up Flicker in the bag. And well, Flicker's, yeah, Flicker's already crawled into the bag. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't going to be a part of what was going on out no. there. And suddenly you're being dragged along, just running down this alleyway, and your vision's coming back to you slowly, and you hear more arrows being released and more howls from the two guys behind you as you are just running down this street, being disoriented, doing what you did, being in the attack. You don't realize it, but your disguise has disappeared. You've lost your concentration, your ability to, to hold it, and you are running full peel down this alleyway, down this road, through the dark, and um, right as your vision just starts to sort of come back to you, you look up and see the person that is pulling you along, and it's a tall, thin, green, scaly figure, and you immediately recognize him as your old friend, Kjolmer. What? Yes, it's good to see you. We better run while they're distracted. We've got to go. Come on, hurry with me, please. <laughs> yeah. Don't look back. Just keep running. And he's running. You guys take off down an alleyway. Then he cuts over. You take off down another street. And you hear the howls as these are increasing now around you. You hear it as if there are many of these things, these creatures, all around the city, it sounds like. It sounds like they're all over the place. Kjalmer just, he's got you by the arm. You guys are running literally for your lives down this alleyway. And then he quickly ducks down one more dark alley. And then he grabs this big wooden slab on the side of a building and when he does someone hops down off of a nearby rooftop landing into the alley with you guys they're cloaked and they've got a bow in their hand and Helmer just kind of gives them a wave and they come over and pull back this big wooden slab it's like on a turner and it rolls up and you guys are able to hop inside really quickly you do so the cloaked figure steps in behind you pulling the doorway back in, locking it into place. And then Hjalmar turns and picks up a large metal grate in the floor and begins to climb down into the sewers. Oh my gosh. Don't worry about the smell. It's okay. Just follow me. This is, we've got to go. We got to go now. There's more of them wolves out there. They mean serious business. I'll just tell you. They'll probably kill us. If they can, they'll eat all of us. We need to hurry. Who are they? Don't worry about that. I'll I'll tell you everything. Just come on. We got to go. We got to go now. Okay. Okay. Right now. You climb down the long metal ladder into the sewers. A cloaked figure above pulls the grate back over on top as you guys climb down in the dark. Of course, you can see well in the dark. You get down to the bottom, and Hjalmar is down there. The cloaked figure comes from behind you. He steps over to Hjalmar, and Hjalmar, uh, turning to them, says, You go on ahead. You tell them that we're coming, and uh, we'll see you just up there, okay? Uh, don't worry about us. We're fine. They're not going to find us down here. And then they take off. And Hjalmar turns to you. Well, Misk, it's uh, it's good to see you, you know? It's good to see you too, Hjalmar. I, honestly, you've saved my life back there. Oh, yeah, you know, that's nothing. We, we do that stuff all the time. It's, um, it's sort of what we're doing here now. Um, you know, things, things have changed here in Brightport. Let me tell you, I'll tell you all about it. It's, uh, it's crazy here. Yeah, it's very crazy. I can tell. Yeah. Um, what? So, where have you been? 
<laughs> it's a long story. Uh, I actually went to the Nine Hills. I was kidnapped. A what? Before the Nine Hills, and then we went to the Nine Hills no again. Way. Yeah, and it was. You went to the Hills. Yeah. Wow, how'd never, you do that? I never thought I would go back there, but. No. No, I, I never thought I'd go there at all. Personally, I'd like to never go there, probably. Is it bad? It's, it's, Sounds bad. It's bad. Is it really bad? Yeah. Did you get any better while you were there? Me, personally? No, did the Hells get any better? Did oh, you do any good down there? Uh, yeah, we we did. We fought the... She kind of looks around. We fought uh, the Forsaken and... Um, yeah. Okay, well, I don't really know what any of that is, but um, I, I know that's okay. Look, we'll have plenty of time to catch up. Right now, we should probably go. Yeah, you're right, you're right. And he turns and starts walking down the damp stone sewage ways. So, yeah, the, the, the city, it's under siege right now. Um, those werewolves out there, they're, they're not the ones who've got it under lock. They're, they've just come in. They're just scavengers, man. They've just come in. They're just looking for uh, trouble, you know, and they found it. But uh, we're under siege by the the Grovers, you know. They've uh, they pretty much locked this city down completely. I just don't understand how the governor would allow this to happen. Oh, uh, Blackfire? Yeah. Well, he's I'd... gone. Gone? Yeah, he left. Why? I don't know. Uh, they, say, they say he left. He went on a trip out to Fallen Grove. It's crazy. Crazy stuff is happening. Look, at, and there's a lot of rumors sort of swirling around. All I can say is, I was there at the Drunken Lizard. Everything was fine. I was, uh, you know, just enjoying a good day. When suddenly, all these people came from Fallen Grove, druids and rangers, the Leaf Guard, and they took our city by storm. And they locked things down here. Wait. They just showed up? Well, yeah. they Right, yeah. About halfway through, you know, autumn times. And uh, they say that Blackfire killed the goddess Atonia. N- what? N- no, no, no. Look, that's what they're telling us. And I, here, they I got personally know Blackfire. I don't think. Oh, really? Well, I used to perform at his house forever ago. Well, they, the say, they say that he went there and killed Atonia. Oh, uh, I don't Saul. know if that's true or not, but I can tell you this. The canopy is gone. Saul, Saul Grove, was supposed to go there. Is he there now? Is Blackfire there? No one's seen him. I haven't seen him. Uh, oh, no. We've been, you know, trying to get some word out. Basically, well, the Grovers, they've got us under siege here, and they say that they're not going to let us go unless Blackfire comes back and, and answers for what he did. But mm. they, they say that he killed a lot of people. Including the goddess Atonia, and also that. Um, so Blackfire is an enemy. I, this is so confusing. I I honestly don't know. <sighs> I wasn't in the Nine Hills that long. I know time's different, but there's Saul's going to be so mad. Well, I don't know anything about that. All I know is this: we're stuck here, and we those of us who are like trying to you know do some good or whatever. A few few people came back, you know. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, <laughs> well, you're gonna be you're gonna be surprised. You just wait till we get up here. You're gonna be surprised by what you see. All right. You guys continue walking, and soon you see light coming from up ahead, and you all come to a large opening in this sewage tunnel, and you are back out in the center of Brightport, the same place that you were in, what feels like a week ago. To you, well, it feels like a weekend, like a year. Mm-hmm. When you came here with Saul and Miles, 
it's the big, beautiful farmhouse underneath the city, the oh. home and operating quarters of the Hot Feet. Hmm. Uh, Yalmer? Yeah. Hmm. I don't think I want to go in there. Well, trust me, things are different now. Uh, I don't know. Is the Shiv here? <laughs> the Hot Feet are, are gone. Almost all of them. You see, when, when Blackfire left, most of the Hot Feet went with him. And most of them have not come home. Hmm. And now, even if they wanted to, they wouldn't because, well, we're under siege and they would probably kill them. Just just look. He leads you forward, and as you approach this big house and the big lawn, and you can see it now, it's filled with people. Tents everywhere. You know, think like a campground. It's just full of people, and they're refugees, people who have escaped here and are hiding underneath the city from the Grovers, they call them, and from the the sort of scavengers who are out trying to capture people and take them to them who are trying to find out some information about Blackfire and trying to find him. And, and there's makeshift homes. And, you know, before it was like training areas. Now it's just people, children running around, adults, young, old, families of all shapes and sizes, elves, halflings, humans. I mean, you just see everything and everyone. As you guys are walking up, a lot of people call out to Hjalmar, waving, saying hello. He says hello, gives some high fives, gives a little hug here or there. I'm going to get a flicker out of my bag and put him on my shoulder. Okay. He crawls up on your shoulder. I just wanted you to see this flicker. There are people everywhere. And as Hjalmar's just sort of talking to people and greeting them, and you're seeing that he was telling the truth, (laughs) this is not the hot feet, you know. A cloaked figure approaches you. It's the same cloaked figure, the one who helped you all escape previously. Uh, And it's a girl. She walks up. She's a halfling. She pulls her hood back. She walks over and uh, she leans up whispering something into Hjalmar's ear. And he nods and then turns to you. Come with me, Misk. There's uh, there's something I want to show you. Maybe maybe this could answer some of your questions. All right. He leads you inside the house, which is also filled to the brim with people. And he, he goes through and He leads you to a couple sets of stairs that lead down. It's the same stairs that you, Miles, and Saul went down when you were trying to find that contract. You go down the stairs, you pass through the record-keeping area even further into the basement to a dungeon. There are a number of cells and things. Most of them are open, but you do see some uh, that are closed and dark figures inside. Kjalmer begins walking forward. He grabs a torch off of... Uh, a dank wall beside you, and he begins to lead you forward. Come on, Miss. Don't don't worry. There's nothing to be afraid of down here. I'll, I'm just gonna keep following him. He leads you forward. You go all the way down, and this is a pretty large dungeon. It's kind of a built in a square underneath the uh, underneath the house. He leads you all the way down to a dead end, and there's one last cell there on the left. He steps over to it. And uh, he stops, and then he turns to you, and he gives you a little nod toward the cell. You step up, and in the light of the torch, you can see inside this dank cell a tired, thin-looking figure uh, sitting near the back wall. He's very short. His head is leaning over on his chest, asleep. The cloaked figure that's come with you all, she steps up, banging on the cell on the door, and he wakes. He slowly lifts his head, 
cracking his neck back, and then stands and steps forward, looking towards you. The dim light of the torch reflects on the pale skin of a scar running down from this figure's eye to the corner of his mouth. <laughs> no. Shiv? Now, that's a face I thought I'd never see again. Welcome home, Misk. A bright, white, triangular gate of pure white light opens up in the hot, dark jungles far south of Fallen Grove. It hums in the night, and critters scurry away from its light. Then, stepping out from the light, comes Sir Vance Oftewall. He coughs as his lungs fill with the damp night air, hot and sticky. <coughs> it suddenly becomes very dark all around him as the gate shuts behind him, and the jungle fills again with the sound of critters and creatures. Immediately familiar with this place, Vance begins walking southward. It's very dark, and his senses still seem to be acclimating to his surroundings. But as his hand slips to the white sword handle at his side, at a pure instinct, he draws it from his hip, summoning the over-large white and blue blade. It grows out from the bone handle, pure and vicious. With the sword in his hand, Vance finds that his sight is clearer, even in the thick darkness. Any beasts curious in the night skulk away, deterred and frightened by the presence of this stranger. You walk forward, determined, purposeful, looking for something. And soon, you see the gleam of moonlight up ahead, shining brightly down through the trees. Suddenly, you step out from the cover of the trees into a large valley. In the center of that valley, there is a still black lake. Not a drop or breeze disturbs its still surface. In the center of the lake stands an obsidian ziggurat, a place that you called home for a time. So what, what does Sir Vance off the wall do? Go up the stairs. You walk over toward the stairway that heads up the side of this big monolith. You walk up the long stone staircase. You come to the top and there's an opening that goes inside underneath a roof. There's a large black square stone table in the center where it always is. There are these little fire pit things that he uses for light around it. And when you first step up, there's no one there. Okay. Look around. Look around. You, I mean, you know this place. You, you literally lived here for a while and there is a staircase that heads down. Do you go down or do you call out for him? What do you do? Go down the stairs. You go over to the opening and you step down through the staircase. You can hear the sound of something down there. You head down the steps. You go into a long hallway and you hear, it sounds like somebody just messing around with something, you know, just like general noises. And you come to a door where the sound is the loudest and you open it and look inside and there stands the shade. His deep, deep black skin shines in the light of this room. There are torches lit all around 
he turns uh, at the sound of you stepping through the doorway, and he has a he has this like apron on around his neck, covering up the front like a white. He's baking cookies. He's cooking. He's got a skillet. Uh, and he, oh, he, oh, hello there, Sir Vance off the wall. My goodness, I did not know that I would ever see your face again. What are you cooking? Well, you know, some um, some rabbit stew. And we've got some cookies in the oven, of course. Of course. What's a good meal without a dessert, I always say. In all seriousness, though, I really did think you were probably dead, Vance. All the way back from the hills. I suppose you made it there safely? Well, of course you did. I, I mean, I, there was that whole business with Saul and the knife in the chest. I'm sorry about that again. Yeah, thanks a lot for that. I'm afraid it was necessary to keep it from you, and, well, Char did... Oh, oh, where is Char, by the way? Where is Char? Uh, probably still in the hills. Still in the hills, you say? Well, you'll probably do well down there. Seems to fit him. But what about you? Did you find your friend? Uh, I did. Oh, you did? Yeah. And? And I need to do the thing again. Do the thing again. Oh, you mean the resurrection spell. That one. Uh, w- what about Saul and the uh, the girl, um, Misk? What about the two of them? Where are they? Are they still in the hills? Did they survive? They both left the hills when I did. Oh, but you're not with them? They're not with you? I have no idea where they are. I would love to hear all about that, Vance. How that you escaped the hells without sacrificing either Misk or Saul. And I do have some unfinished business with Saul that I would like to discuss with him soon. But uh, I am willing to table all of that for now. So, you've been gone a long time. How long? Months. Hmm. I mean, it's almost winter. That's interesting. Is it? It's only been a few days. A few days? Yes. Oh. Well, that is interesting. Well, a few days from your perspective, my goodness. A lot has happened, Vance. You know, I like to keep my thumb on the pulse of the goings-on of Manumi. And while I like to stay out of sight... I do also like to know what's going on. I don't like to be caught by surprise. You know that. Well, there have been some developments. Surprising ones? Yes. Well, you see, I'm not sure how to get Guy's body back. What do you mean? We already have it. No, we don't have it. I don't have it. Antonia had it. Had it. Well, I I assume that it, the body is still wherever she placed it, but... She is dead. Dead? It's surprising, like I said. That's not possible. Apparently it is. <sighs> okay, how could I put this <clears throat> succinctly? Lord Sebastian Blackfire... The governor of Brightport, Tiefling, powerful man. I had my eye on him, but, you know, he never really caused any trouble. Interesting fellow. 
Turns out he's actually a god. Oh. And he killed Atonia. What? Wait a minute. He stabbed her right in the face. You're saying there's another god? Yes, this one. Well, he snuck under all our noses, didn't he? He, uh... I don't have all the details. I've been able to piece things together from the few survivors, and I do mean few, of the event there in the Corrine, when he showed up on the day of the equinox and proceeded to slaughter dozens of people. And ending with Atonia, he sacrificed her, and her body literally exploded, killing many who were nearby, wounding some, and she has passed from this realm and all realms. Fallen Grove is dead, every tree barren. A winter wind has blown through there. And that's not good for Manumi. How is this possible? Well, I don't know. Like I said, surprising. And uh, I'll be glad to fill you in on all the details that I have gathered at a later time, but for now, let me say this. You want to bring your friend back, we have to have his body to do it. Atonia had his body, and now she is dead. I don't know where his body is. Do you? No. I mean, I would assume that she's got it tucked away somewhere safe in whatever corner of the astral plane she used to spend her time, you know, drink her tea and and read her news or what have you, but I don't know how to get there, and I would assume that to get there you would need to be a god, probably. So yes, that's not exactly good news for you, or for any of us. What am I supposed to do then? He kind of like brushes his hands on the apron. And then he like, oh, and turns around and like pulls the pot off of the fire. I almost scorched it. Um, well, Vance, I don't really know what you're supposed to do. Uh, I mean, to find it, we would need a god or someone who's been touched by the god in question, Atonia. Well, you know, actually, now that I think about it, there was one. Well, I heard a rumor. You know how it is. I, I heard a rumor about one particular individual who's been going around telling people he's the champion of Atonia. Who would this be? Well, I don't really know, and I've never interacted with him, although I would like to. I've never had the chance. I'm pretty good at finding people when I put my mind to it. Uh, You know that, he says, tapping his nose and then winking at you. (laughs) But if this individual has truly been touched with the power of Atonia, and I don't mean like, oh, he prayed to her, or, you know, sort of in the way that the Archdruid was, although... From what I tell, he was also murdered in the fall of the canopy and Fallen Grove, unfortunately. If this gentleman, who I've heard is an elf, or at least half an elf, if he has indeed been touched with the power of Atonia, then perhaps he could find it for you. What do you know about him? Not much. Let me think, let me think. He kind of closes his eyes, taps on his chin for a minute. Oh, well, the only thing I know about this champion of Atonia, he's traveled around Fallengrove often, and um, he is identified by this strange cloak that he wears, very unique, one of a kind. It's a purple cloak. Um, I hear it's covered in a, 
a pattern of open eyes. Jimalil Karth. Jimalil Karth. You know, you know who this is? I do. Well, in that case, we've got ourselves a lead. Now, I, I don't want to get your hopes up too much. I, I honestly don't know. But perhaps if he has been to this place where Atonia might go, if he has been there, then he can return, whether he knows that or not. I believe he has. I understand that, and I don't want you... I'm just telling you, not, don't set yourself up for disappointment, Vance. Regardless, if you know him, then perhaps he will help you. Vance pauses for a moment, considering his situation. Scratching his chin in thought, he stops, looking up at him. So, Shade, you don't happen to have any scrolls of sending, do you? You know... I think I just might. It is freezing. Saul, you look around yourself, and there's not a soul in sight. The ground around you is covered in snow, over a foot deep. Every tree within your line of sight is barren and leafless, and their bare branches are glazed and covered in ice and snow. The wind blows harshly around you, and... Within moments, you begin to feel the icy burn of the wind on your skin. Saul stands up, makes mm-hmm. sure the stone is tucked firmly against his chest, tightens up his jacket, and uh, pulls a cigar out and lights it. Starts walking through the trees slowly, paying very close attention to everything around him. You start walking through the trees, and where you are, it's kind of like... Well, at first, where you're at, it's pretty flat, but as you start walking forward, you notice that the terrain starts to dip into some sort of a hill, you know, going down. And and as it does now with all the barren trees and stuff, you can see pretty far, and it's just rolling hills with trees. And as far as the eye can see, there's not a single leaf or any greenery on any of the trees, including ones that look like they should have been evergreen. They're all barren, perhaps dead, iced over and covered in snow. Why don't you give me a perception check? Yeah, I rolled an 11. Saul's bad at perception. Okay, so with an 11, uh, you see everything that I just saw, and you continue walking. For a while, you don't see anything. You keep walking. You're looking for something. Are you, do you call out for anyone? Do you do anything else? No. I think I just start uh, praying softly. Big draw off that cigar. And then says, Well, Paylor, looks like uh, it's not autumn in Fallen Grove anymore. Also, hopefully you know I'm back. It still stinks up here. 
So you've, you, you're praying, reaching out to Paylor. Go ahead and give me another perception check. <laughs> Worse. Mm. It's a five. All right, I'm also going to need a constitution saving throw. <sighs> Stop. Also a five. Oh, no. Are we sure this thing's random? Are we sure this thing's random? Um, so you are starting to feel um, very, very cold. Like you, you're starting to shiver. Your fingers are starting to grow numb. You're really not dressed for the occasion. You are very cold, and you begin to think, fire, I need, I need fire, I need warmth, I need heat. Yep. Saul is going to pull out that rapier and just, holy light of Paylor erupt it. Okay. Uh, the light of Paylor erupts in flames around your rapier, and you feel the warmth. And it's not, you're not suddenly good. <laughs> you're still very cold, and the wind is blowing very hard. It's uncomfortable. It's it's honestly it's, it's turning miserable. It's time to find some shelter. That's right. You realize you're going to have to find some shelter and you don't really know where you are or what to do and in desperation you turn around. Go ahead and give me another perception check. 18. Okay. So now in desperation kind of realizing your plight and also now that you've got a little warmth in your bones, you start looking and you're thinking shelter, fire, shelter, fire. And you actually spot something Far off in the distance, you can't tell how far away, but you see a plume of gray smoke rising up through the trees. I move with haste. You move with haste. You start going in that direction. But as you do, the time that you have spent wandering around, looking for shelter, looking for something, any sign of anything, uh, has taken up a decent portion of this day, and you're not exactly sure how early or late it has been. And as you set off in the direction of that smoke, you soon begin to notice as it gets dimmer and uh, a little more gray. And pretty soon you're approaching that dusk hour. And the sun, even though you can't see it beyond this cloudy sky, seems to be setting. The temperature's dropping. You still have your fire going and your sword? Yeah, as much as I can. You are pressing onward. Uh, you don't see anyone still. You don't hear anyone still. As the sun sets and, and it's getting more and more difficult for you to see that smoke, you're just kind of going by your internal compass at this point, going in that direction and praying, Paylor, please help me find whatever this is and please let it be shelter, kind of in a dire strait. At this point, I'll cut open a horse and sleep in it. Oh, you are continuing forward, pressing, your feet are hurting, your hands are hurting, and then you hear something in the distance. A long howl. Great. Just great. <laughs> I'm gonna, in my left hand, clutch Vinraya's dagger. Okay. Just go ahead and start the poison, just in case. Okay. You have armed yourself in preparation are you still running, basically? Oh, yeah. I'm trying to keep moving to keep the blood flowing. Okay. You're moving as quick as you can. At this point, the sun has completely set. And while you can see fine in the dark, um, it is, man, it's cold. And it's getting colder and colder, and the wind is terrible. And then you spot something moving out of the corner of your eye. I kill the flame and stop against the closest tree. Okay, you stop and you turn off the flame on your sword? 
Yeah, I'm gonna try to stealthily hide. Uh, go ahead and give me a stealth check. So you know it's gonna have to be pretty good. I like it when you say that, because then I tend to roll well. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> now your stealth is really high. Your stealth is a plus. It's not that high. Oh, no, it's not. It's a plus six. I thought it was better. I forgot, I forgot that you're actually a really bad rogue. Um, <laughs> statistically. You hug against a tree and snuff out the light. And then you hear the sound of growling nearby. And uh, you hear it from multiple sources. And you know you, you've been Aww. you've been found. You've been caught. There's no hiding. You peer around the tree, and standing in the center of not a clearing, but you know, just like a small little area between the trees, is the biggest wolf you've ever seen. It has a pure white fur. Is it a boy or a girl? You can't tell. Uh, its eyes are glowing with like this bluish, silvery light. And behind it, there are a few, you're not exactly sure how many, at least three, maybe more, smaller wolves just kind of circling behind it, looking in your direction. It's not even been a day, and I'm going to get some ears. (laughs) I'm going to use some thaumaturgy Uh and uh, give myself a uh, purple-red outline. Okay. Try to get some intimidation going on. All right. Go ahead and give me an intimidation check. 24 total. Okay, so with a 24, that's pretty good. Um, They're going to have to roll against you. So the little guys seem frightened of you. Uh, Let's see about the big one. Oh, girl. Ooh, natural 20. Bring it on. The little ones, they start to kind of hunker their heads down and back away a little bit. And the big one... It almost seems to chuckle. It's weird, and then it just totally lunges at you. Sticking that rapier down its throat. Give me an initiative roll. We'll see which one of you is going to go first. I got a nat one. I got a 19, so this thing is going to lunge at you, and it's going to try and bite you. It is going to roll. It misses. A natural one. Yeah, it does. Wow, both ends of the spectrum. Does that mean I get an advantage whenever I try to stab it with this dagger? Uh, no, I'm going to give you an attack of opportunity. Cool. So have a free attack. That's a 13 on the dice. Plus, what are you attacking with? Your sword, your dagger? Dagger. Okay, so... Poison dagger. So that's a a 13, you said? Yeah, 19 total. Okay, so that is a hit. Roll me 1d4 plus 6. That's 3 on the dice. So 9. And then it has to save. It has to make a constitution saving throw. Correct. So, let's see how it does. DC 15. Uh, he rolled a 9 on the dice, plus 2 is an 11. Ha! That's a fail, so he gets 3d10 poison damage. It's a big oof. 20 poison damage. And the other one was 9, so he took 29 damage total. He's also poisoned for one minute. So you bury that thing into his chest, and when you do, he howls. I'm gonna take your ears. Not happy about it. Hearing his howl... Uh, yeah, they roll a 19. So then they're actually going to move in, and a couple of them are going to come at you. One of them lunges at you and tries to bite you. He does. Mm. You take nine damage. I hellish rebuke him. Okay, hellish rebuke him. What is that, 3d8? Four, three, and three. Okay, so that uh, he, he is engulfed in flames, yelps and falls back, and is just dead and on fire. Yes. Another one is going to come at you. That is a natural 20. Oh, my gosh. 
first one did nine damage. This one did 14 damage. And you need to make me a strength saving throw. It's a 19. Oh, that's good. You're good. Uh, another one's coming at you. Ah. Also a hit. You hear Saul just screaming in rage. One is biting onto your arm. One, The big one is is has missed you, and he's, he's got the, the dagger hole like bleeding out of his chest. Another one's on the ground beside you, and one comes leaping over the other one to like bite you on the shoulder. But as it's in midair, something happens. It erupts in flames. Yeah, it does. Like an explosion of flames. He is midair flying toward you, turn just to see it snarling, its teeth snatching at your shoulder, but then it is knocked free by the blast of purple and orange flames. Ooh. And when that happens, the big one turns facing some other direction, and as you see the big one turn, and the one that's on the ground besides you turn, you see an arrow come buzzing out of nowhere and strike into the side of the big white one. It yelps and howls, and they all start kind of freaking out. And as they do, another one of these big purple explosions of flames strikes into one of the smaller ones, and another arrow comes flying through the trees and strikes into the big one again, and it's stumbling back, blood pouring from around its neck. It's about time! He has no idea who he's talking to. He's going to stick that rapier into the main wolf as quickly as possible. I'm going to give you advantage if you want to try and step up and deal a killing strike on this thing. The high one's a 14. So go ahead, roll me the damage, um, which is 1d8 plus 5. 13. So you step forward, and with your rapier, you strike true right into this thing's chest. And you also have sneak attack because I give you advantage. 13 again. So for 26 damage, you step up, and you pierce right through the ribcage of this thing and into its heart. It lets out a final yelp and then slumps down and falls down dead. The rest of its minions that are still standing run off into the forest, and uh, you've got a big dead wolf beside you. I immediately start carving off its ear. Thank you for your help. Care to talk? You turn around, and stepping through the trees... You see a tall, slender figure. They're cloaked in a large white fur, possibly taken from a wolf, not unlike the one that you just killed. Stepping toward you, you can see dark eyes glimmering in the night underneath her hood. She pulls the hood back to reveal her deep purple skin, purple horns, running back through her dark, long hair. She's thinner, smaller, shorter, and her chin is a little bit more narrow. But as you look upon her, you know exactly who she is. I clean the blade on the wolf. Alumari Jin. It's a pleasure to see you here. She steps forward slowly at first, but then picking up the pace, she runs forward and just leaps into your arms, embracing you deeply. Marie, I can't believe... I did... You remember me. Of course I remember you, you fool. I've been waiting for you for over a week. <laughs> I didn't know what happened. I thought... Or where you might be, but here you are. How'd you beat me here? She interrupts you, kissing you full on the mouth. And you feel some of the warmth come back into your body. Saul's a very happy tiefling. I'm, I'm sorry. I... I don't know what came over me. You look devilish, my dear. 
No, I don't. I look I look like a mortal. He laughs at that. No, no, you look like a queen. While saying that, you hear another sound, Saul. You hear the sound of more footsteps in the snow. And turning, you see another figure stepping towards you in the dark. And this figure is holding up now a bright burning torch. Ah, who are your friends? She steps back, turning toward this new visitor. And in the light of the torch, Saul, you see a halfling standing before you. He's short and wide-shouldered, but thinner than most halflings, almost gaunt-looking in his chin and around his neck, which is covered in a thick, heavy beard, which is also not like most halflings. He's dressed in thick furs, brown, gray, and white, with a bow strapped over his shoulder. In one hand, he holds the bright torch, and in his left hand, he holds a tall, wooden staff, leaning on it to help him balance with the wooden peg that runs down from one knee on his left leg. His face is scarred as from some terrible burn, and his left eye is covered in a leather patch, scars from the burn running down his left cheek. Stepping forward, he looks up at you, quiet for a moment. Then he hands the torch to Marie, reaching forth to shake your hand. Hello, Saul. Saul. Excuse me, peasant. I am such... In that moment, you recognize him. Butter? It's been a long time. But, butter? You look disgusting. Well, I wouldn't say that you look the best either. I love the leg. Ah, I look as princely as ever. I got to say, you need to put a blade on that leg. (sighs) What happened? Get in a fight with a wolf? No. A lot has happened since your uh, sudden exit, so to speak. Saul, uh breeze in heavily how how long has it been uh, it's even hard to remember uh months <laughs> it's it's been so long i can't keep track it's best if we talk somewhere else though uh follow me back to my cabin it's not far from here it'll keep us warm okay butter and he like takes marie by the arm and walking arm in arm with her is going to stay uncomfortably close to you. Um, Butter? Yes? Where's Jilly? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know where. I, I, I hope that she's somewhere. I am unaware if she's even alive at this moment. Gonna see Saul uncharacteristically, like, clutch at his chest? Did you make it to Fallen Grove? We made it to Fallen Grove. It, it took us nearly a week to get to Fallen Grove, and even more so when we went to the canopy. We were able to make it there and met up with Nephiel and as well as all the other people working in the canopy. Uh, oh, that's great, Butter. You, you made it. Uh, have, we, have you discovered what's going on? Where is your sister? I don't know, Saul. As he says that, you all step out from amongst the trees, and Saul, you see a small ramshackle cabin. It's rough-hewn. It seems pretty new, honestly. Bill built it himself here, where he's staying right now. Come, Saul, let's let's step inside. Bill, you'll make us some tea, won't you? Yes, yes, I will. Tea. 
she leads you to the door, Saul, and she holds it open for Bill. Bill steps in in front of you all, and as he steps in, she whispers to you, Be careful, Saul. He has been through very, very much. He looks at her and gives a curt nod and uh, goes inside uh, much quieter. Stepping in, she closes the door behind you all. Saul, when I arrived, it was Bill here who found me first. I didn't know where I was, and to be honest, when he first spotted me, I think he thought I was a demon (laughs) come to destroy him, but I was quickly able to convince him of otherwise when I invoked your name uh, by some stroke of fate. It brought me to him. (laughs) You found one of my friends. Perhaps that was the point. Perhaps, as I thought of you, it brought me to your companion here. He, like, looks at Butter and looks back at her and... Yeah, companion. Yeah. Uh, Butter, uh, I feel like we have much to speak of, and I still have a sense of urgency. What's happened? Where's Jilly? Where's Phil? Where's your brother? Where's the nearest tavern? I'm sure I can find him. I believe uh, Bill looks over at the fireplace and kind of just walks over to it as he's preparing the tea. Um, he's putting the water on the boil. He looks up. He says, Saul, unfortunately, Phil's not with us anymore. Saul, you see a familiar double-headed axe mounted above the mantle in the cabin. No. When we made it to the canopy, we... We quickly set up the best that we could, trying to help them prepare for the oncoming day, setting up for the equinox, and nothing could have prepared us for what happened. So all it was, it was horrible. It was atrocious. It was... We didn't, we didn't make it? No. The canopy is gone, Saul. Everything is gone. Peanut. The Corrine is destroyed. Nephiel is dead. Phil is dead. Fallen Grove is dying as we speak. This is Fallen Grove. This is where we're at. I don't even know if my own sister is alive. Everything is gone. Saul stands up. I need Jilly. I need Peanut. Uh, where do we go now? I've asked myself the same question for months now. I've merely built this cabin to s- somewhat sustain myself. It's, it's almost drove me mad going out and doing the same thing over and over and over and not knowing what to do. Um, Saul goes around the table and uh, picks his hand up from his teacup and like pulls butter in. I'm sorry. I... I went to save Misk. And I may have chosen wrong. I'm sorry. There's no tears. No nothing. Saul pulls back and, like, pulls his arm a little bit. We... We need to find a Temple of Palor as soon as possible. There's still hope for Manumi. There's still hope for everyone. 
We have to find Jilly. Why haven't you been looking for Jelly? What are you doing? Stand up! Bill kind of stands up and he ends up taking uh, taking the leather patch off of his face and kind of revealing some of the scars and stuff. You see uh, he's missing an eye in the left, left side. And he looks at you and he goes, Saul, I applaud your enthusiasm, but... Atonia's dead, that's all. Blackfire killed her. I was there. I... Blackfire? It's... It's... Was supposed to be a tiefling, I suppose, but more of a monster. (laughs) Trying to remember back and the horrible screams that happened. Within an instant of the equinox happening, there was... an insane amount of just of my wards going off that I'd set up and within moments they were upon us and there he was An attack. Yeah. and his army he, he cast his dark evil magic on people and they became sick with these festering black insects and I, I was lucky enough to heal myself and Phil but at that moment in time, Jill had gone missing, and we we had no time. We had nothing. We, we couldn't have done anything. And he had her by the neck. He had Atonia by the neck. And I tried to stop him. I dumped everything I could into my trident and threw it at him. And it, it did nothing, Saul. Absolutely nothing. He even took my own trident and imbued it with this dark ichor magic and threw it back at me and I I'd embraced myself I was ready I was ready for death but you know what happened my brother jumped in front of me and because of that not only is my brother gone but so is my sister I have nothing I have nothing left I'm missing a leg it's all what what can I do I watched this, I don't even know how to describe it, it's a creature, what, of what, quite literally stab Atonia through the face with a spear and take her life. A very god, mind you. What am I to do against that? Saul looks pretty baffled. Silence permeates the room. Fire burns low. And you're all sort of shocked by a sound suddenly, the sound of a soft knock at the door. Um, Saul's still jumpy. He pulls his rapier and stands up. Expecting guest. Bill probably would go over to the door. Okay. And just slowly open it. The door slowly opens, and there's a man standing on the step of your cabin. You don't recognize him, Bill. But Saul, as you, I'm sure, step to the side and look through the door, you see the face of someone you haven't seen in what feels like ages. And he says, Hello, Bill. Hello, Saul. It's been a while. And Zahn steps into the cabin. Your rapier in your hand glows and lights with fire without you meaning for it to. It just does. Saul uh, bows his head respectfully. Mm-hmm. 
Lord Paylor, it is a pleasure to see you. I have something you need. How does Bill react when he says that? He would just kind of bow in reverence. Mm. He's not going to be able to get down on one knee, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry that I'm so late. I heard your prayer, Saul, but I was indisposed at the moment. My lord, it, it appears I am the one who is late. He kind of gives you a, a, a half nod, half like sad grin. There is no need in reliving what might have been, only what is. I've come to tell you, and now that I see you're here with Bill and an, a friend of yours, he says, motioning toward Marie, who is kind of standing there with her eyes wide, looking at this guy. Saul takes a step, like, almost in between them. Uh-huh. Yes, this is Alu Marie Jin of the Nine Hells. Ah, well, it is nice to make your acquaintance, Marie. And he gives her a wink. And she kind of looks surprised that he would call her that, you know, or even know that that was a thing. But he does. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have long. The two of you have been through much. I've come to you, Saul, to, to speak plain, clearly, without any games or any subtleties or hints. My sister is gone. She was slain on the night of the autumnal equinox by a creature, a being that we did not know existed. He has declared himself as the Blackfire. Blackfire. He is a son of our crooked father. He is a god. Saul is feeling an emotion or a sense that he's not used to? Fear? Um... My lord, Tonya, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, how you can kill a god? Not easily. Let, let me speak quickly. I do not have much time. The gods have made a decision that we are going to get involved once more with the goings-on of Manumi. We are stepping in. I told you before that we had a vow that we would never do that again. You recall? I do, my lord. There are consequences to such a vow. It affects us in a way that I, it's hard to describe. Let, suffice it to say that once we have broken that vow, or we have, in a sense, broken our very godhood. And while I am still Pelor, I am still the god of all humankind and of the sun, by involving myself and by breaking my own word in such a way, I have weakened myself. So has Atonia, or so had she. And this black fire, he claims to be the god of the hells. The creator of the hells. The, the god of the hells. Then I bring you great news, for I have destroyed the unchained within the hells. And he opens his jacket and brings out the heart. His eyes go wide as you pull out the cracked heart of the crooked father, and he looks up at you and he reaches forth his hand for it. I feel weird about just giving it to him. Okay. Like I slowly start reaching it toward him? Uh, why Why didn't you destroy this when you had it before? Saul, I 
I've promised to speak clearly with you. You have to understand that destroying our father is something that we were not capable of doing. We did what we could in the time that we had. If I could go back and do it differently, then perhaps I would have destroyed it. Perhaps I would have destroyed him. But we did not. And now here we are. We were naive. We were egotistical, swollen in our pride to think that this day would not come. But he has slain Otonia, and now the chains that hold him are weakened. And while myself, Dervetter, and Provalian have done what we can to reinforce the prison of our crooked father, it, it seems that it is an inevitability that one day he will break free. And so now, our plans must change. Indeed. He will not break free as long as I'm alive. He grins and gives you a nod. Gorg and Brackle will do their best to stop the Unchained in their respective places, and they should. If if they were to succeed in, in weakening the chain further, then well, we need time, and they can buy us time. But as for you, we must prepare for the eventuality of, of the Crooked Father's return. We must gather our forces. We must strengthen our hand, you, and Bill, he says, turning to you, Bill. I know that you have been greatly wounded, Bill. I'm sorry for that. And I am very sorry for your loss. And while things have changed, he says, stepping over toward you and placing a hand on your shoulder, I am still a god of creation. And you feel as the peg in your knee pops loose, falls down, and you feel flesh upon flesh growing down from your knee, forming into your leg again. You feel an itching in your left eye, and reaching up, you, you pull back the, the patch, and you feel as your eye reforms and your sight is returned. It is a small token, but we need you in this fight, Bill Hicks. Will you join us? Bill would turn around and kind of begin to walk a little bit on the leg and uh, would go to the fireplace and take down the axe, mm-hmm. hold it in both of his hands. Well, even though you gave me this back, and I do appreciate it, I suppose that he would be upset with me if I didn't take this axe and use it for something, right? Yeah, no kidding, because you went to war over a cow before. <laughs> <laughs> and we murk them goblins. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bill. And Saul, let me say this. I chose a champion that day that we stood in the chamber of the gods, Saul. Kjorg is my champion. I have touched him with power unlike any mere mortal before him has wielded. And the hour will come when he must stand and fight our crooked father alongside the gods. The same for Atonia. While she lived, she chose a champion for herself, a half-elf, to represent her on this world, and she imbued him with her power. And now he wields the purest of her godhood that remains. Dervetter and Prevalian must also choose themselves a champion. And I need your help gathering forces, fighting back against the darkness of this world, because I will tell you, 
Things have descended into chaos. Brightport is at war. They are under siege. All the remaining tenants of Atonia have marched there to take their revenge on the citizens of that city, and it is not their doing. He smiles at him and looks at Mari. Mari? It sounds like Manumi needs a general. <laughs> Will you come with me? Oh, you couldn't stop me if you tried, Saul. Sounds like a general needs a captain. Lord Elumari Jin held out against the Unchains, full force unleashed on the hills. It's basically decimated from, except for one kingdom. I will welcome all the help that we can get, Saul, and I, believe it or not, I trust you. That's the most foolish thing I've ever heard a god say. <laughs> I will do you honor. So now, the question is this. Dimmerhold, Binthaven, Brightport, Renshire, Marlins Pass. Where will you go? This has been Make Believe Heroes Season 3.5, Episode 6, Consolation. Thank you so much for your patience and for coming along with us on this crazy ride through Season 3.5. We are hard at work on preparing for Season 4, and we look forward to sharing more news with you as soon as we can. In the meantime, we're looking forward to doing a 3.5 wrap-up Q&A, which we will be holding here in around two weeks or so. So if you would like to submit a question for the Q&A, we will be streaming it live for our patrons at the $3 tier and up. But we will be releasing that as an episode of the podcast the week after it's done. So if you want to have any of your lingering 3.5 questions answered, then you need to click the link to the Google form in the show notes below and submit your question there. Again, thank you so much for listening. Your support means the world to us. We can't wait to get going with the next chapter in the story of Make Believe Heroes. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. Oh, and there is one more thing. The sun sets on the dry, cracked earth that covers the dry land. The blistering heat this far south still radiates off of the hard ground, but soon it will turn cool, then uncomfortably cold. There, just ahead, stands a narrow outcropping. It shields the entrance of a dark, dirty cavern from the warmth of the sun. The sound of dry dirt crunched under heavy footfall can be heard as a tall, cloaked figure seemingly appears out of thin air, walking forward. The stranger approaches the outcropping, pausing at the line of its shadow. Reaching up, he unclasps his cloak from around his neck, letting it fall to the dusty earth. He unbuttons his long, black shirt, not saying a word. Dropping it down with his cloak, he turns his neck and reaches skyward, stretching his body in the darkness. His slick obsidian skin gleams in the pale light of the moon overhead. Now, naked from the waist up, he calls out into the darkness ahead. Come out, you great beast. 
I've come to speak with my champion. Come out! Show me your rage. There is a sound of great rattling chains. Then all at once, an enormous lumbering beast comes forth out of the cavern, rushing toward Blackfire. But he doesn't move an inch, standing completely ready as the creature barrels toward him. Then, suddenly the chain catches tightly. The beast's long, gray arms stretch forth with its fingers less than an inch from Blackfire's face. Yes, good. Let me look at you. The great beast stretches, rumbling in its chest. Its huge, gray arms are marked with lines of some ancient pattern, its body covered in bulging muscles. It is naked, save for a tattered rag around its waist, and a plain mask of iron obscuring its face. Black eyes gleam from beneath the eye holes, and heavy breath comes through small slits in the iron. You are magnificent. Yes. The hour is near, and you are almost ready. You shall bring him to his knees. The beast nuzzles its face against Blackfire's hand, then throws its head back in a roar. As Sebastian leaps forward toward the creature, and in a flurry of blood, fangs, and fists, they battle throughout the night.